for tuning in to the New Vision Podcast. Our prayer is that this talk builds your faith, brings clarity, and gives you hope. Enjoy the message. You guys know I'm always looking to see how the room fills out. Where are people sitting today? I'll tell you, like, you did a pretty good job. You did a pretty good job of of filling in. Like, it's almost an even blend. I want to remind you something in the coming weeks. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago because Easter is going to be here in, man, what's that, three Sundays from now. So I, I want you to get comfortable with not being in the spot that you normally sit. And I'm not laughing. (laughs) Some of you are feeling that pain this morning. You're trying to keep it inside like, people are in my spot, people are in my spot. I get it. Like, I'm that same way. I go to a whole different coffee shop if someone's in my spot, in my regular seat. But we want want you to, to have a heart that will just make room. That you'll be willing to slide over, scoot down. This is not your seat. This is God's house. We just get to come together and celebrate and be in his presence. And as people are coming in to experience God, not to have a service with us, but to experience the presence and power of God. Don't let your seat keep them from what God has for them. Or what God has for you. Don't be so salty that you didn't get in your seat that you miss out on all that God wants to say to you and do in you that day. So become, you might even pretend now, like, in the next couple of weeks, sit somewhere else. Maybe you've been stuck. Maybe God would take you to a new spot to help you get a different vantage point and different perspective. Or maybe for some of you, it would just be like, hey, you start in your normal spot, and during worship, you just slide over a couple of spots. Let's start there, right? So that way we can make room. People can slide in right next to you. You might make some new friends. Ah, oh, so... So when I was in youth, um, and, and I'm going to preface all of what I'm about to say about when I was in youth with an apology to my mom. Sorry. Um, you're going to see why. <laughs> Man, when I was in youth, we, we were a great group of friends. I, I have friends for life that I consider family from youth, but we got in a lot of trouble. Um, A lot of trouble that my mom and dad never really found out about. Um, Here's here's just a framework so you can know where where I'm operating from. Our youth group um, was so incredible that there were restaurants that asked us to never come back. (laughs) They asked us to leave early and please never come again. Um, we stayed at hotels that shortened our stay and asked us to never come back. Um, we went to campgrounds and were barred from life from a campground. Let me tell you about the camp. Sorry, Mom. Kendra, get a little bit closer to my mom so that she doesn't try to get me later. So we were at this campground, and it was, it was youth camp. Um, it, was, it was a great time. Everyone was, was having fun. But there became a part of, of camp where, as Latasha would say, um, we just started cutting up. And um, there might have been people's beds, their mattresses that ended up in a lake. <laughs> Maybe. 
There might have been some patio furniture to seat around the mattress that was in the lake. Um, there, were, there were all kinds of things happening. Like we, we lost our minds. It got so bad that our youth pastor pulled everybody into the chapel and shut down camp. He, just, he sat us all in a room just like this, closed the doors, put people at the doors, and he's like, we're not doing anything else until we find out who broke all the stuff. There's no more games, no more snack bar, no more service. Like, this is all you get until we figure out who's been messing stuff up. And we were all looking around in the room, giving that look like, don't say a thing. My cousin was the first one to rat us out. Man, it is. It's always your people, man. My youth pastor, though, man, he, he wasn't just upset that, that we were breaking stuff. He was mad about that. But he was also frustrated because we were squandering our time at camp. You see, he planned camp, and, and the hope was that we would allow God to do something in us at camp. That we would experience God in a way that maybe we didn't or couldn't at church and that we would leave camp different than we came in. And he was frustrated that things were being broken and he was frustrated that we were content with leaving our lives the way that they were. He did not want us to miss any more moments. He wasn't going to keep letting us act a fool and miss out on what God wanted to do. So he shut everything down, sat us down and told us some things that we needed to hear. Anything like that ever happened to you? I mean, if you, if you think about people that are close to you, maybe you had a loved one that had no problem sitting down with you and telling you what you needed to hear. And in those moments, it wasn't what you wanted to hear. And you told them to leave you alone. You didn't appreciate them coming for you like that. You didn't want to hear anything that they had to say, but you realized that what they said was true. And you really needed it, even if you didn't want to admit it. And looking back now, for some of us, those are now the things that we love and admire most about people. We think back to, to our, our grandparents or our aunts or uncles. Maybe they're not with us anymore, but that has stuck with us. How they would just come and sit down and give us a dose of truth, even when we didn't want it, but we so desperately needed it. And I think if we're honest, we all need that. We need someone that will be willing to show up and say, wait a minute, you might think that this is how you're supposed to, or that this is what you're supposed to be doing, but wait a minute, you're missing out. We need people that will show up in the middle of our mess, in the middle of the things that we are messing up and say, hold on, can you just stop for a second and look at what's going on? They'll show up for us when we're missing out and messing up our lives. Someone that's willing to get right down at our level, right in the middle of it all. Today, my message is titled, In the Middle. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the moments that we get to spend together in your presence and in your word. And so, God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our ears to receive from you today exactly what you need us to hear. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me as I communicate your word to your people. Help me to do it clearly and confidently so that they can hear your voice more than they hear mine. In Jesus' name, amen.
All right, we are in our one lasting series where we're looking through the last week of Jesus. And today we're going to pick up right where we left off. So turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 11. We started with the triumphant entry where Jesus was coming in, riding on the donkey, and people began to sing and shout praises. And we, we titled last week's message, Don't Let That Rock Speak, or Don't Let That Stone Speak. And we talked about giving God our worship with our affections, our attentions, and our abilities and now, what's going to happen? Like, Jesus was riding down from the mountain into Jerusalem, and we're going to pick up right where he left off. What's happening next? People are going crazy. Mark chapter 11, verse 11, it says, So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Now, it's okay if when you read that, you're like, huh? Like, why would Jesus spend all that time and energy coming into Jerusalem with such fanfare and uproar to just leave, right? Like, I read that the first time. I'm like, wait a minute. Why would he do all of that to ride into Jerusalem and then just look around? See you tomorrow, guys. And then he heads off. But that's not actually what he's Doing. He's not just looking around. The text says that he is looking carefully. And before we jump into too much today, I want you to know that God cares so much for you that he is carefully looking around at your world. He's taking inventory of what's going on. He's showing up and looking around, seeing what's going on, seeing what you're pretending to do and who you're pretending to be and who you really are and what's really happening on the inside. So when I get to this part of the text, it's like this nervous excitement because, oh, man, he's looking around. Something's getting ready to happen. And then I'm thinking, wait, if he starts looking around in my heart, what's he going to find? Let me slow down. But I can... I can be confident that as he is looking carefully, he's doing that because he cares fully for me. He wants me to know that he is there and he's willing to show up. And what's going to happen next, he, he does this intentionally so that we would know that what happens the next day wasn't some spontaneous act of anger, but was a purposeful demonstration of his passion and love for people. Let's see what happens next. Verse 12. Now, let me, let me qualify the, the, this next section. I found a new translation this last week, and I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. I'm going to skip over some pieces. We're going to come back to them. Don't get mad at me just quite yet. And in this new translation, we're going to discover some really cool stuff. It says this in Mark chapter 11, verse 12. It says, the next morning when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and shut it down. And that is the PK version. That's what the PKV stands for. <laughs> People are, so I'm glad a couple of you are clapping because some of you are like, that ain't what my Bible says. I don't know about this church. Stay with me for a moment. This story has a lot of stuff. And so we're going to walk through it a little bit differently today. So just hang out with me until the end. Jesus comes in, he enters the temple, and he shuts it down. The first thing that I want you to know is, as we get into this story is he came for us. 
Not like some of you are thinking, don't come for me, Jesus. Don't come for me like that. Like, I had somebody tell me that this morning. I said something like, don't come for me today. I'm like, wait a minute. Sometimes when Jesus shows up, that's our initial response. Hold up, whoa, 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 don't, mm -mm. change your tone. Change the way that you look at me. Don't, that's not what he's doing. Jesus came in, he came for us and he showed up and when he looked around, he was like, whoa, what, what's happening in here? There's so many things that are happening right now that shouldn't be happening. We, we just, we got to stop. We've got to shut this down because this isn't what I want. We need to get a lot of this stuff out of the way because you're missing out on what matters most. Because busyness and business had overwhelmed the place meant for people to slow down and have life-changing experiences with God. They were rushing through. Relationship was now transactional. They, they were missing out on so much. And, and in this moment... Jesus points this out to us because, see, we have a way of making the minor things the main things. So much so that we miss out on the main things. And in order for Jesus to let us know in this story, he had to shut everything down and say, look, the main thing is what you're missing out on. Your relationship with me is broken, but I'm here to fix it. It's what I came for. And I love this part of the story because notice where Jesus came in. Notice that he showed up right in the middle of this madness that's happening in the temple. He could have shown up anywhere. He could have shown up at different times. But he showed up right in the middle of all of the craziness. And it comforts me as I read that to know that he'll show up in the middle of my crazy life when I need him to. He'll show up. He's, he's not afraid of, of what's going on. He's not afraid of where you are. He's not afraid of what you've been thinking about. He's not afraid of the busyness of your schedule. He's not afraid of what's going on, of, of how nervous you are about life, how uncertain it feels right now. He's not nervous about any of that. Actually, he is excited to show up in the middle of it all. Because he could have came at any other time. But he came to remind us that he will show up. Parents, he will show up while we're worried about our kids, while we're praying for them, while we're praying that we don't mess them up, while we're praying for wisdom to raise them, wisdom for them to lead their lives. He will pray. Single parents, as, as you are concerned about how you're going to make ends meet and how you're going to lead your kids in the right way, he will show up in the middle of all that. For those of you teenagers that are trying to figure out how to fit in and stand out and all this, he will show up in the middle of the confusion. And for those of us that are still trying to figure out how do we live a life that matters, what kind of life can we live that has purpose, I don't want to just have a job. I want to have something that I'm passionate about. In the middle of all of that, he will show up. He'll show up right in the middle of our heartache right in the middle of our worries, of our frustrations, of our hopes and our dreams. He'll show up during our retirement and our graduations, in the time of our wandering, in the middle of our diagnosis, in the middle of our loss and our joy. Jesus will continue to show up and show up and show up right in the middle because he wants to speak to where you are right now. He's not going to wait for things to calm down, for you to get things together and then shows up. He's like, look, I came for you. I'm right here in the middle of it. So now let's circle back and see what actually did he find. 
I expanded the PKV for this. I'm just kidding. We went back to the, to the real Bible. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple, began to drive out the people, buying money and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers, the chairs of those selling doves. He stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus has done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. You know, I love those little bracelets that say, what would Jesus do? And oftentimes we, we try to look down at those moments where we're frustrated. Like, man, today didn't work out the way I thought. What would Jesus do? Got my bracelet, got my shirt. And most of the time that helps us to, to frame our response, right? What would Jesus do? Well, he would love first. He would be passionate. He would give great. Well, Jesus will also come in and wreck shop. He would throw over tables. And knock people down. Because look, look at this is, this is what's great. Like they were using the temple as a shortcut from one side to the next. So people didn't have to walk all the way around. So they're just in there carrying their stuff through. <laughs> and the text literally says that Jesus was knocking stuff out of their hands. He wouldn't let them carry stuff from one end to the next. Can you imagine how excited Peter was that day? <laughs> like he was built for this. What do I get to do? I'm on it. <laughs> See, in, the, in some of us, like, we're at this moment, like, what would Jesus do? He would do that. Oh, that's my Jesus. I got that all day long. Look, look, look. The next time we lose our temple, hey, don't get mad at me. Jesus did the same thing. I'm just turning over tables. <laughs> and then sometimes we read the text, and, and we might be like, man, Jesus was having a bad day. This just doesn't look like Jesus, right? Like, did somebody feed him in the morning? Was, did he leave hangry? Like, he showed up and just got fed up. He was frustrated and, and just acted. I'm like, oh, somebody bless Jesus' heart. Look at him. But he, he wasn't having a bad day. He showed up, and he sees people that he loves, and he's, he knows that he's about to die for them, and they are missing out on the moments that matter most. They are shallow. They have no substance to who they are. Nothing that's happening in this moment is about sacrifice or sincerity. It is all about convenience. And he is heartbroken because of it. Because he didn't just come for us. He came to fix what's broken. Jesus was upset that the temple was no longer a, a place of prayer and praying to God, but a place of praying on each other. Where, where people were being robbed financially and then being robbed spiritually of the presence of God. Do you notice that he wasn't the only one upset? There were a couple different people groups that were upset. And do you notice the difference of what they were upset about? The religious leaders were upset, upset about the loss of potential revenue. And Jesus was upset about the loss of life change that was supposed to be taking place. It says Jesus looked around. He saw what was broken even if no one else did. Even if they weren't able to. Even if they couldn't which lets me know that he's able to do that even now. 
that he shows up to fix what's broken in my life and in your life, even before we recognize that it's broken. He's there. He knows what matters most. He knows what we need, and he's showing up to fix it, even if we feel like, well, I know what's broken, and it can never be fixed. You know what? I I don't even believe that that he can put the pieces back together if we would just trust him with the pieces. Our, Our hearts have been broken. Dreams have been shattered, and we've just left them on the floor. It's all broken. It doesn't matter anymore. We've given up hope, but he came to fix what's broken. And what's what's crazy is if we will gather those pieces and give it to him, the dream that he gives back to us often is bigger and more beautiful than the dream that was broken. If we would just trust him with our pieces, he came to fix what's broken. He came to a place, to the temple, where people were supposed to know that they could show up there and and be encountered with the presence of God. But as Jesus looked around, instead of finding transformations, he found transactions. Instead of staying in God's presence, instead of lingering there for a moment, people were just trying to get through as quickly as they could. Sacrifice and and offerings were were now just tables that you had to stop by. You didn't have to prepare your sacrifices. You didn't have to work hard. You didn't have to pick out the right thing. It didn't have to be something that you owned that you were giving to God. You could just pick out what you could afford. And to pay the temple tax, if you didn't have the right currency to do that for a convenience fee, we're happy to take anything that you have and give you what you need so that you can keep moving through. You don't have to trouble yourself with the details of what you're offering to God. You can just make it work. The system was broken. The system of getting to God was so broken and no one saw it. Everyone was so busy going to and from that they didn't even pay attention because of how busy their lives were. You see, the devil does come to steal, to kill, and destroy. And I think a lot of times what what he uses is he works really strong to deceive us, to make us believe one thing or the other. And when he can't do those things, then he just works in distraction. The enemy loves to get us busy living our lives, doing a whole bunch of things that don't really matter. He wants us to do a bunch of nothing. And most of the time, we are happy to oblige. We love multitasking. We love doing all kinds of things at one time. The thing that we don't remember, though, is that the more distracted we are, the more it hurts when someone gets our attention or when something gets our attention. Think about the times that you yourselves have been walking and been distracted, and you didn't see that pole that was in front of you. You didn't see that object that was on the ground and you tripped over that. My favorite, look, I, I like it when people trip and fall down. I, I enjoy stuff like that. My favorites are the ones where people are like walking and they're kind of looking over their shoulder talking. Thunk, and then they run smack into something. Oh, man. It's funny when it's not us. Distraction hurts. We're not paying attention. We will walk ourselves into things that God never intended us to experience. Distracted. 
And people were so distracted to what was happening in the temple that they were missing out on what was most beneficial to them, and that was a relationship with God. So Jesus shuts it down. He stops everything. And it wasn't just about the system either. It was about the people involved. He wanted them to slow down. It's so tough for them and for us to slow down. We're built now in in such a way where we feel like if we're sitting and resting that we are doing nothing, and that's a waste of time. We're trying to figure out, man, I got 15 free minutes. What can I do? How can I maximize my minutes? And Jesus was saying, well, what about just moments with me? Why are we so worried about productivity and not worried about our relationship with him? Why can't we just slow down? If Jesus were to show up in our world, in our temple, in our lives, would he not just say, hey, can you? I'm here. I've been here the whole time. You've just been missing me. Can you just slow down and experience life with me? You've been rushing through because everything else seems more important, but this is the most important thing. Can can you just abide in me for a moment? Can you just rest with me. See, rest is so hard because on one hand we feel like it's doing nothing. <sighs> I can't sit still. <sighs> but rest is where we exercise our faith in who God really is. Who makes the world spin? Who, who really is in charge of everything? Is tomorrow going to come whether you work 23 hours in the day or not? If you're not um, doing everything for your job, they need you to get everything. Will will your job continue to happen? Will somebody fill your spot if you no longer work there? The answer to all those things is yes. When I choose to rest, I am exercising my faith and saying, you know what, God? You're actually in control. I'm not in control. Let me just sit and rest in you. Well, Pastor Kevin, that doesn't feel like that does anything. See, we've equated rest with sleep and and nap times and all this stuff. Rest is where we get rejuvenated by God. Go back and read the 23rd Psalm. It's where we experience those green pastures, the still waters, the places that God has carved out just for us. Why? So that we could be filled once again so that we can be renewed, so that our energy can come back. If we will wait on the Lord, he will renew our strength. He will pour into us what we wish we had, what we're working hard to get at, what we're drinking energy drinks to get, what we're staying up all hours of the night to do. He will pour into us if we will wait on If I'll carve out some time, if I'll make it an action, this is not doing nothing. This is a huge action. This is a huge part of our faith and our relationship with God. Will I allow myself to rest with him? Will will I allow myself to see what is happening in my own heart and in my own life if I will stop? Or will I constantly be distracted by all the notifications? All of the things that are going on. Oh, text message. Oh, I got a text message while I was up here. I got an email. Do I need to respond to that right now? If some of you are like me, you see those little red numbers on your phone and you got to click them. You got to make them go away. Others of you, they've become non-existent. Hundreds of notifications. You ain't text people back for five years. (laughs) 
But maybe we're missing out on God because we've got busyness equated with productivity instead of distraction. And maybe God would be asking us to slow down and live a life that's undistracted. To allow him to speak to us like we would speak to a friend. To be invited in to a place that gives us life where we rest, where we become a part of the vine again, where he gives us his peace, his strength, where he restores us and restores what's been broken. So that all happens in the temple. And I told you we were going to skip around. Let me show you what happened before and after the temple. In Mark chapter 11, verse 12, it says, The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. I told you, he was hangry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. And then after the temple, this is the next day after Jesus shuts the temple down. Verse 20, it says, the next morning, as they passed by the fig tree that he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up, Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. I don't know about you, but when I read all of this together, sometimes it just leaves me kind of scratching my head. Like, I don't understand what was going on with Jesus as he walked by the fig tree? Like, could Jesus, couldn't, couldn't Jesus have just said, give me a fig? <laughs> right? I mean, he, he goes there, he looks for something because he's hungry, and when it's not there, it seems so out of character for Jesus to curse this tree. It seems harsh. It, it, it doesn't quite seem right. It, it doesn't seem fair at all, especially to the tree. And then the disciples are hearing what he's doing and paying attention. Like, what kind of example is he setting? See, Mark tells us that it doesn't seem quite right because it wasn't time for figs. So it didn't seem logical that Jesus would expect to get something that should have never been there at all. Until you read it again. And it says that that fig tree had lots of leaves on it. And it is true that in a couple of months there would have been full-grown figs. But when you look at the tree, the presence of the leaves indicated there should have been presence of some fruit. There should have at least been the small buds of the figs that he could have went and picked and enjoyed. You see, the presence of leaves, made it seem like there was growth there. It had all the promise, but no production. And as we dig into what, what does this all mean? 
What Jesus does with all of this story is so incredible because normally Jesus would just tell a parable, but he lets the disciples live a parable because the fig tree represents Israel. And all that Israel was supposed to be, the Israel had lots of leaves, they had prophets, they had the law, they had miracles, they had Moses, and still they didn't receive the Messiah. They had all the leaves, all of the stuff on the outside. They looked really good, but they were dying on the inside. Their roots were drying up because they had rejected a real relationship with God. They had moved into their own religion instead of relationship. They had settled for leaves when they could have produced fruit, fruit of righteousness, fruit of relationship with God. See, this whole thing reminds us that Jesus came for us. He came to fix what's broken, and he came so that we could flourish. You see, like the fig tree, Israel had settled for looking good on the outside. And I wonder if we've began to settle for those same things. I wonder if, if we look deep down inside, are we settling for what looks like a healthy relationship with God rather than actually having a relationship with God? Are, are we good with the leaves of, man, I look good, right? Man, you look like you got it all together. That's right. Don't get too close, though. Don't look past the leaves. Don't, don't look deeper. There, there's nothing more than this. There's no substance. There's no depth to my relationship. Would you don't, don't get too close. Just admire from a distance. Have we become content with looking good, with appearing to walk with Jesus, but our roots are dying on the inside? Jesus came so that we could live a life that flourishes. He wants us to have a life that's full of substance, not just symbolism. He wants us to have a fruitful life, not one that just looks all leafy and green and it looks like there could be some things that are going on in the middle of it. No, he wants a life that actually is. In John 10, he tells us that the enemy comes to break things over here. He comes to steal and destroy, but I've come so that you can have a life and have a life to the full. He wants us to have a fruitful life. He wants you to have more life and more faith and more hope and more substance and more purpose and more of God. That's the life that he came to give us. How do we get it? How, how do we not miss it like Israel did? It's in Jesus' response to the disciples. Have faith in God. No, 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 dig, dig deeper. No, 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 just have faith in God. PK, there's got to be something more. Have faith in God. How could that be the response? How could that be the key to, to me experiencing a life that flourishes? Because if I will be rooted in God, if I will put my faith in him, it doesn't matter the uncertainty around me. Jesus had just shown them how the temple system was broken and being flipped upside down. 
there were more things ahead that were going to turn the world upside down. There were, there were more things that, that looked certain, that were not certain, that weren't stable. There are things in our own lives that we feel like we can rest on and lean on. But when they change, when they break, will we be left with just leaves and no fruit? Put your faith in God. There's uncertainty at your job. Put your faith in God. There's, there's wars and, and rumor of wars all around the world. Put your faith in God. Well, I don't know about tomorrow. There's this big test I've got coming. Put your faith in God. All that we're hoping for, longing for, he is the key to all of that. He's inviting us to trust him, to put our faith in him because he is steadfast. He is secure. He is unmovable. He is unshakable. When everything else around you is moving, he is the bedrock that doesn't move. When your world is shaking, he will not be shaken. And if I've attached myself to him, I can get confidence. I can get courage. I can get strength. I can get what I need to stop surviving and start thriving. He doesn't want your life to be full of leaves and no fruit. He wants you to have a life that flourishes. He doesn't want you to settle for a transactional relationship. Well, if I do this, then you do this or all right, I got to give this and do this. And he doesn't want that. He wants you to experience what a real relationship is like in the life that it brings you, the substance it brings you, the source that he is to give you a life that is flourishing. See, it's tough for us sometimes to even think about that because we've been surviving for so long. We've just been making it. And we've been smiling the entire time so no one would know the struggle. But today, Jesus came to show up at the middle of your struggle. In the middle of how you've been trying to make it work and make it last, make it to the next paycheck, make it until whatever it is that comes after that. He's in the middle of that because he came to fix what's broken. He came to give you a real relationship that's life-giving and life-sustaining. Would you close your eyes for a moment? I wonder what God would be saying to you today. Maybe you're here today and as Jesus is here, he's just inviting you into relationship. Maybe you came in and you've been trying to figure things out on your own, doing it your way, and it's been okay. But today you would say, man, I'll, I'm going to put my faith in God. See, he came for you. He came so that you didn't have to figure it all out before you came to him. You don't have to clean everything up and get organized and, and break free from things. He came to set you free. He paid the price for our sins on the cross. He died for you and for me. And then he rose from the dead to prove that he was exactly who he said he was. That he can give a new life, one that flourishes. If you're here today and you would say, Pastor Kevin, that, 
that's me, man. I, I, I need what Jesus is offering. I, I need to fix my relationship with him. I, I need to invite him into my heart. I just want you to raise your hand and make eye contact with me. If that's you, you say, today, PK, I need Jesus to change my heart. Just raise your hand, look up at me. I see that hand. Yeah, 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 I see that hand. Would, would everyone stand with me, please? Everyone in the room. We don't do this every week. But today I just want to challenge you. If you raise your hand, you said, PK, man, that, that's me. I need, I need that life that Jesus is offering. I just want to invite you to take a step out of your seat and meet me down here in the front. If that was you, just wait for a moment. If that was you, you raised your hand, you made eye contact with me. There were a few hands, there were probably more people that were just like, I don't know. But would you be courageous enough to meet me down here at the front? To pray, we're just gonna wait for a moment. If that's you, just step out, just say, excuse me, and make your way this way. Come on, put your hands together. There's people who are responding to Jesus. going to wait for a minute more. Is there anyone else? Say, PK, man, today I need to give my life to Jesus. We're going to wait just one second more. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to what God is saying to you. Maybe he began to speak early on when, when he shut down the temple because there was so much stuff going on. What, what was he saying to you then? Have you been distracted by something? Has, has it been taking up too much in your world? Have you been missing out on your moments with Jesus? Or did he challenge you about the leaves and no fruit? you've been settling for a relationship that looks like it gives you life but it's not sustaining you it's not the life that he wants you to have as the worship team sings in a moment I'm going to encourage you just like every week to respond to what God is saying to you to step out of your seat, move into the aisle, turn around and kneel, come down here to the front. But if God is challenging you, if he's speaking to you, if he's saying, hey, what about me? What about moments with me? What about time with me? If you would stop everything, you would see that I'm here and I can fix what's broken if you would just give it to me. Let me give you a few minutes to respond. What is God saying to you? Respond to what he's been speaking Spend some time in his presence. Our prayer is that this message impacted you. Please share your story and partner with us financially at newvisiongrandview.com.